Hi, I'm SJ Sacchetti, the CEO of Clio. And femtech means to me designing and building for women who have been left behind for too long. And to build it right, thinking about everything that surrounds women, which means everyone. So let's build better products that support women by supporting everyone around them, which is how Clio thinks about our version of femtech is family tech. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is brought to you by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with the members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash Femtech. Okay, Fem fans, before I intro our guest, I want to tell you that Femtech Focus's virtual community is migrating to a new platform. This new space will enable more interaction, perks, and resources for all its members. The community is ideal for founders, investors, Fem fans and physicians interested in or working in women's health. We have moved our publicly available databases from the Femtech Focus website to this platform. Those are the databases of Femtech startups and exits. We have also launched a jobs board to post and look for work opportunities in Femtech. Last but not least, we have our Femtech Institute, which is a library of video content that is a self-guided accelerator. It's free to join the community and only $15 a month if you want to unlock the big perks of a FemPro member. Join the community by going to femtechfocus.org. Alrighty, Fem fans, in today's episode, I interview S.J. Sacchetti, the CEO of Clio. Clio's mission is to transform the perception and experience of being a working family from a disadvantage to an edge in the American workforce. Clio is a family benefit offered to prospective and current parents through their employer. Clio's clients include major companies such as Pinterest, Salesforce, PepsiCo, and Upwork. Clio brings working families the support they need from family planning to parenting children up to age 12. With mental health support, career coaching, parenting advice, family health navigation, and much more. They do all of this through their one-on-one guidance with a coach, personalized content, and intuitive app. In this episode, we not only speak about the need for employers to support working parents, but also how the pandemic has disrupted what we think of as life and work balance. Platforms like Clio are needed now more than ever, not only to maintain business success, but also keeping parents and children healthy and happy. Learn more about Clio. Go to HiClio.com. That's HiClio, H-I-C-L-E-O.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, SJ. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm happy to have you. Where are you calling in from? I am in a little town called Lafayette, California, which is in the East Bay, uh, just about 30 minutes from San Francisco. 
Cool. Have you always been there? I haven't. I'm one of the uh, statistics. I moved during COVID. <laughs> uh, I thought the statistic was that people left the city though. I did. Well, I'm 30 oh. minutes outside the city. Okay. So just, we continued to just make our way to more trees, more <laughs> space. Uh, than we would have ever honestly done. We were always rushing into the city, rushing mostly to SFO for me yeah. and the airport. And uh, at the peak of the, well, who knows what the peak of the pandemic was. Yeah, we, uh, we picked our heads up and thought, I don't think I have to go to the airport ever again, three times a week. Yeah, I don't think I probably have to be in the city every day or every night. Uh, yeah, And so we dared to, to move. And now we're surrounded by vultures, trees, and space. And we love it. <laughs> vulture was not the bird I thought you'd it started reference. with vultures yeah <laughs> you get a real clear picture of my life it's very <laughs> country but still still can get into the city but now it's well not now but um right before we had our latest variant special um I was getting into the city you know once or twice a week easily so it's great Cool, cool. Yeah, I did a similar move from Houston, downtown Houston to Raleigh. So kept nice. the healthcare city feel, but I like to say uh, in Raleigh, there um, it feels like a small town, but everyone's vaccinated because it's uh, mostly healthcare providers here. Science reigns supreme. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah, love it. cool. Well, SJ, this is so awesome to have you on the show. We always like to kick off our interviews before we dive into the tech and the business. Just you, um, you know, tell us about where you're from. You know, what did you study in school? If you went to school, like what was your career before getting into uh, this company? Just tell us more about yourself. Yeah, it's a it's a nice little accidental path uh, to being a CEO of a health tech uh, startup. Um, my background um, is a little bit meandering. The theme of it has always been some form of storytelling, communication, and focus on change. It's, I guess it's probably only the only pattern I can find in everything I've done. I grew up in a little town in Massachusetts, uh, made my way uh, to uh, the big city of New York City, and uh, enjoyed um, my undergrad at NYU, and actually was getting really passionate about uh, social change um, and uh, policy when I was there, uh, which is a long time ago. Uh, and then interestingly made my way out to California. And my first gig was actually in politics and um, doing healthcare uh, and um, education district measures to raise funds um, for California schools, California healthcare districts. Um, and funnily enough, it's very tied to my life today uh, at Clio work and working in health tech. Um, but loved it, uh, ran campaigns across the state. And uh, even though I was quite young, um, I got very tired. Uh, I will say politics and campaigns, in my opinion, uh, is obviously, they, we call it rough and tumble for a reason. It is a good, it is a good uh, training ground for startups. Startups are actually easier than campaigns. <laughs> There's very few things that are easier than uh, than than um, startups, but or sorry, harder than startups. And I would say politics is one. Um, and then, funnily enough, I was in California. The health uh, tech hadn't yet had a boom, um, but technology, of course, did. Um, so I was living in San Francisco. Wanted a break from the campaign trail. Decided to jump into this whole thing that was surrounding me. It was absolutely the boom at the time of tech. And started enterprise tech and doing communications and marketing and, and did that for about 15, 16 years and worked with a variety of startups, everything from music tech companies to early social media companies 
to huge enterprise companies um, who made semiconductors um, and beyond and love tech. Found I love startups, particularly worked for a venture firm called Redpoint for a while. Um, and then health tech came about. And it was, uh, it was my first kind of inkling of connecting the social impact and the love of transformation and change with all of the opportunities um, that I had seen in marketing uh, and startups and so I banged the door down of an awesome company called Collective Health. And that's where I made my way in about seven and a half years ago into health tech. Um, and it was very new at the time. Uh, there was early funding, early companies uh, coming together, only a couple public market exits uh, and loved it. Every minute of it was the chief marketing officer at Collective Health was there for just shy of five years and then uh, got tapped for the opportunity at Clio. Yeah. Uh, and this is me as a CEO now. So this is my first time, but uh, being CEO. That. Yeah. How have you seen the healthcare tech, health tech industry change over the past few years? You know, we oh talk all the time about women's health having been not addressed whatsoever and it being a little bit new now, but, you know, I'm just interested in hearing your perspective, having been in the trenches. Massive acceleration. Um, I'll try to organize my thoughts with three things because there's so many things that have changed. Yeah. So I've been in the market for seven years. Um, at the time, there were only a few VCs writing big checks um, for the space. So I would say the number one change is one wow. that surrounds us. Yeah. Um, we are uh, flooded with capital into the market, um, namely in what I would call the commercial or employer or B2B yeah. Yeah. Um, health tech market. Uh, Collective Health was one of the earlier players in that market, but at the time, there were really only a few VCs looking at it. In fact, when we would talk about it in the market, there was um, a lack of excitement about what those businesses could look like, what their paths looked like. Um, I would say that is probably the most dramatic shift is now we're um, surrounded by companies getting everything from early stage funding to late stage funding. I have a lot of things to say about that, but uh, <laughs> but I would say that's number one is the, the market woke up. Um, number two is in, the reason the market woke up and another part of the change is employers showed up. Yeah. So the premise was right in the early stage when I was at Collective is, hey, you know, who is the most incented to drive long-term transformational change? You always have to look at where the money is and who's incented to actually drive change, right? And employers were that focus. And we knew that at Collective, early companies like Castlight knew that. Um, but very few people, though a lot of the early health tech was still focused on consumer. Yeah. And so I would say that number two change is the awakening of the employer market. There are now massive amounts of new companies, three years old, five years old, Clio's turning six this month, um, who have matured in this space because employers aren't just talking about making change, they're investing in it. Um, and that's a huge shift. Um, and one that I think is absolutely here to stay. And then the third um, is, I think, an understanding of measurement and metrics and impact. I would say we're still in the early stages of that. I will say there's- We're like, oh, wait, not everyone has the same health as a Caucasian white man who's Correct. above average salary. Oh. <laughs> yeah, personalization, understanding yeah. of social determinants of health, um, impact, but even just at a basic level, like what does good look like? What are we driving towards? What are the metrics as an industry- that we can share? Is it engagement? Is it a long-term health outcome? Can we actually ever get to value-based care, right? And I would say that's probably in the early 
um, stages of development, but it has matured a lot. I think we're getting better and better at actually measuring and seeing where the money goes and what the outcomes look like. And thankfully, hopefully, especially for the most highly impacted and underserved communities, I think we're finally starting to talk about that. So those are three. I love that. I love the number two, the employers waking up and we're going to dive into that. Um, And I have some specific questions around the great resignation that's happening right now and how, you know, we're going to deal with all this in the context of women's health. But what I find is that the most, some of the most successful femtech companies have a B2B model where they're going to the employer to cover it. And, you know, when I first came across it two years ago, I thought, oh, how creative how creative. This is so great. And now I'm like, if you don't have an employer model, I'm not sure if you're like what you're doing, you know, like, so I'm so excited for us to dive into that. Let's, uh, let's like, you know, reveal, like people are like, what does this lady do? What is Cleo? <laughs> what does this lady do? Yeah. What is, what is Cleo? And, um, I, you're, you're the CEO of it. So when did it give us a little bit of history as well? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm the very proud CEO of Clio, which is a family benefit support system uh, that supports families from the very beginning of planning for a family all the way through. We're actually launching teens uh, uh, in a month, um, all the way through the teenage years. So really holistic, complete platform to support what we think of as the parenting demands, the health demands, and then how I think of it is the resource needs, right? Everything from how do I get the right childcare to how do I use my health benefits to how do I use leave um, for across that family benefits ecosystem. Um, And we'll get it more into Clio later, but um, we serve now, I think it's over 125 clients across. uh, Now we have members in over 65 countries. So we're global, which is also really unique in our space um, and really exciting. Um, And how the company got started was really simply um, six years ago. So I'm the operating CEO. I joined two two years ago, uh, December. But the company was started by two remarkable co-founders who saw, A, this huge opportunity in the employer space. So we always were an employer, um, which I think also speaks to our success to date, right? We, we, we went straight into where the employer yeah, market was after two years of floundering. Yeah, that's correct. I think that's a huge piece of Clio's uh, strength and, and how we've gotten where we are today. The, what the founders saw at the time was two things. They saw what was failing in what we think of as organizational health. Um, so to your point, great resignation is what we're talking about today. Six years ago, Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett hadn't yet said women should be in boardrooms. Like, I mean, what we've fit, what we've already started to name, if you think about it, it's not even a decade that we've started to say we should have women in the C-suite. Okay. Which I I like so mad stomping my feet about the lack of progress. And I'm like, oh yeah, wait, we like people's eyes just started to open. We're talking about it. We're talking about it, but we're starting to do things about it. But so as this time, right that we were founded in San Francisco. So very much in this tech community, um, which at the time was really known for the bro culture and bro club. Um, I think we led the nation um, with the term bro um, at the top of very successful companies. And so they were seeing this opportunity for organizational health change. And what I mean by that is seeing actually the trends we're talking about today, but very early on, how do we see women rise up the ranks? Why aren't they? How do you get more inclusion and diversity at the top of your companies? How do you get people, including moms, 
to have a healthy pregnancy and actually come back to work. So we were working on those fundamentals. So that's how we thought about organizational health. And then the second piece we were talking about was population health. Um, and, and I think Clio is unique in the benefit space because we look at both. And so at the time, our co-founder and chief medical officer, uh, Chitra Achilles-Warren, um, she really saw this huge opportunity to match both um, with allied health professionals and say, how do we actually give people guidance and support, not transactionally, not, hey, you have a quick doctor's conversation or you go to a sleep consultant for that wild time that you can't get the baby to sleep, which by the way, always happens right before you have to come back to work. It's at the three and four month mark. Um, how do you help the parent with a kid who might have mental health issues? How do you actually support them? And she came up with this model of how do you use allied health professionals, doulas, midwives, early childhood therapists, educators, right? Who actually attach to a member. So actually putting that somebody who can answer your questions, but also get to know you and your family one-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one, not for the one question, but actually to guide you. So we call them Clio guides. And so they saw that really early and employers absolutely showed up. So in the early days, it spread like wildfire and what I would call the tech um, set. And um, it's very cool. We have a 95% client retention rate. They're all still with us, which is so cool. And many of their companies have grown uh, dramatically, which is also very cool. Um, and so they started to adopt us and it was the, we heard it then and we still hear it now is the most popular benefit that they had ever put in because most benefits leaders don't hear, thank you, you changed my life, right? Um, but these are the things that actually transform someone's career, someone's right ability to get through that week, that ability to get to that finish line. Um, and so that's how it all started. Love it. And you, uh, I can't help but ask now, what were the sex or gender of the founders originally? Two women. Yes. <laughs> and I love that they got a female. Of course. Because yes, too of often course. we see in femtech, it's 80% uh, of our women's health founders are women, usually solving their own problems. But unfortunately, uh, uh, something we are researching is that once they're funded past Series A, it's usually male CEOs get put in. Um, and so if you look at the gender of founded femtech companies versus the gender of the CEO at time of exit, it's it's absolutely inversed in terms of female starting it, men taking it to exit. And it's like, we got to fix that. So very cool. I love when the, the When the board recruited me in um, to take over for the founding CEO, uh, I know for a fact they had a short list of things that must be uh, present in that CEO and number one was women. So, and by the way, there were only like 30 or 40 of us in the Bay area. They wanted us This was back in the time where we would all go to work and not be on zoom. Right. So they, they, yeah. it was very low locale based because that we were headquartered in San Francisco. So they wanted a women woman. They wanted someone with commercial background in health tech who had served an executive high growth startup. Uh, and preferably a mom so that you can identify just the day-to-day -day struggle. Um, at, but my joke is there's probably 20 of us at the time that had done all that. So thankfully yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now there's many more. Yeah. Um, that's one change in the last yeah. seven years. We've <laughs> built a really amazing network of, of incredible female leaders um, and an awesome community. So cool. And so empl employers actually pay for your service and they pr it's provided for free to the employee. Exactly. It's a fully covered benefit, right? So you can think of us as being added alongside a mental health benefit or a childcare benefit. Um, so Clio is offered to all employees. Um, and then what's really cool is we're offered to the partner as well. 
Yeah, um, I want to dive into that because I was mm-hmm. on your website, saw a lot of doula stuff. So it seemed very like mom oriented, but then I saw dads in there too and men. And, you know, we end every episode. Dads since. need doulas too. They oh, yes. Women tell, the <laughs> tell me more about this. Yeah. So, right. So I told you kind of the background of the founding story of how do you start to transform, right, those two big issues, both organizationally and population health, right? I mean, I think we don't need to get into it. I think your listeners well know that the maternal health outcomes in our country are a ridiculous, embarrassing, and horrifying tragedy. And then if you put on the lens of Black maternal health, uh, I would say it's criminal, right? And so we saw these huge opportunities there, and we saw the huge opportunities in, in the organizational piece. But one of the things that Dr. Killis Warren, our co-founder, saw from the very beginning is it's not just serving the woman, it's serving the team around her. So while we show up with our village of guides who are doulas, midwives, early childhood therapists, social workers, we also want to make sure we're including the team around the birth parent per se. We also want to make sure we're including families and families aren't defined, as you know, by being a woman. You can be an LGBTQ member of our audience. You can be a single dad, right? You can be a non-birth parent who is the primary caregiver. And so actually one of the other things we're lucky about is Chithro is very prescient in in designing it to have partners. And actually, even just in our language of how we welcome you and how you add a partner, it's all non-gendered. So I think that's very important. And what's really cool too is I think dads have changed a lot. Um, I won't, I, I don't have a lot of social science behind this. I have learned and data from Clio. Um, but the, the dads on our platform are highly active. I think it's a generational shift. I think it's also an economic demand of how our dual income families work. And the fact also we see a lot of single parent households now. Um, and I just love to, there's so many member stories where actually the dad finally after you brought a doula is the most concerned about the fertility journey or the most concerned about the birth journey. And I don't think we've given them that opportunity in many of the products we've built thus far uh, t- to be as present as I, I think they do want to be. And of course, as we all know, they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Why would an employer pay for this? Uh, like, what are they, ben- how are they benefiting besides being cool and, you know, woke? Like, are they saving money? Are they saving time? Like, why would they do this? I wish that was our sales pitch. You should be cool and woke <laughs> and get Cleo. Um, I'd say there's three major pieces. Uh, well, maybe I'll back up. There's two types of employers that choose Clio. So we have really diverse employer clients. Examples are Salesforce and Pinterest who are at that like prime like spot of supporting what I would call like they're in like almost benefits and talent wars, right? The best of the best. And we're really lucky to have them as clients and they have high margin companies and they can really be what I would call generous in their offerings. We have other types of clients who want to be just as generous, but have very different types of companies and wouldn't go into the, yes, I think they're cool, but we wouldn't think of them as in that like benefits wars, Um, groups like learning care group, groups like PepsiCo, where their margins are really different. Their workforces are really diverse. So I think across the board though, even though those types of clients are really different, they all want the same things. They want um, families to return to work from leave. Um, there's a huge gap, even pre-COVID, around families leaving the workforce post first or second child, right? How do you support that? Not just for the member, but the climate around the family. We also offer support for manager training and organizational training to have a bias-free workplace for families. So it's keeping people engaged, 
keeping people retained. Two is population health. I talked about maternal health outcomes. There's also really devastating outcomes across pediatrics, everything from nutrition to mental health that actually add up to higher claims costs and claims dollars for large self-funded employers, right? And so they wanna see those things move. Uh, specific outcomes are C-section rates going down. Um, birth, uh, high, high uh, performing provider systems being chosen by CLIO member families versus a national average, right? Those are outcomes that actually go to a hard dollar cost. And then three, interestingly, is actually utilization of other benefits. Um, there's a lot of benefits that I call sometimes can collect dust because employees, they're too, they're too niche, like they're two point solutions. And so one of the things also employers look to us to do is how do we navigate the employees to other benefits that could help them in that time? But because we're building that relationship, how do we help them use that childcare? Um, stipend? How do we help them understand their FSA? How do we help them understand how their leave works? Um, so there's also lots of what I would call secondary support that also drives better utilization of those programs. Are you almost supplementing HR then? Because that's what I would think their job is. In a navigation piece? Yeah. For the large companies, not as much, right? They can never, for a small company, maybe, because yeah. um, they might be getting the feeling those questions. But for our large clients, they can't, there's no way they can touch that many employees. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just more of a reality that there's so many things invested in that employees, right, might hear about it in open enrollment, might get an email about, but how do you get that right tool at that right time is nearly impossible. Um, so that that's how I think of it. Very cool. And, um, you know, is the, is this uh, package like something that, um, you know, people say that they're proud of, that they're engaged with, like, oh, I have this doula, or I feel like in workspaces, you're not necessarily saying like, oh yeah, totally tapped into that benefits we have, like, you know, like, but I also think that this is like a really beautiful program because it's like the family's very, very, very energy around that. It's very, very different. And as I shared, I've been at Clio for two years and I came from more what I would call health plan and plan administration, collective health. And by the way, we were very cool and we helped a lot, but we were never called cool by that many yeah. people. Right? And when it came to Clio, two things were immediate. One, um, families do brag about it to each other and help each other. I'll give you two examples. We help parents get more sleep. Okay. Because uh, through your Clio guide, you can talk to a lactation consultant. You can talk to a sleep consultant. You can talk to a nutrition consultant. You can talk to a childcare support. We're solving these like truly like, like nail biter moments for families um, that are painful, even outside of, right, all the other pieces I mentioned. So that starts to be like word of mouth is on fire. We just launched a tech client. I can't name them today. Uh, a week ago, they have 122% of their annual enrollment in one week. And it's exactly to what you just said. It's word of mouth. Yeah. Like it exploded. And the benefits leader said to us, we knew there was demand, but the popularity, it be like their Slack channels internally are yeah. all on fire. Cause it's more of like a cultural yeah. investment to your, to your question. It doesn't feel like healthcare. It doesn't yeah. feel, yeah. um, it's not a um, transactional benefit. It's something that shifts the dynamics of your family. Um, and so that's a great, it's a great question. Um, and then the other thing is the client love. Um, I wish I could name them, but they probably wouldn't appreciate it. I've had clients come crying to me with pride of the benefit. And I remember my first couple of weeks, I went on a tour of video clients. I actually had two months in the real world before COVID hit. 
um, thank God. And I got to meet many of them and people would literally cry the benefits leader. I mean, that's how painful this is, right? And they were, but they were crying like happy tears of you've changed people's lives. I have employees coming to me saying you've either saved their life, you've saved their career, saved their marriage. We hear a lot. Um, and so, yeah, it's really different. Um, we need to have a new name for it. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not just a health benefit. We'll figure that out. Well, one of the things you mentioned that you support is like getting uh, moms back to work. And so what are some ways that you do that? And do women like, is it that they think they're gonna and go back to work and then something happens and then they're like, oh, wait, never mind. Tell us more about that journey. Yeah, I think of it as like the million paper cuts um, that many of our, what I would call our institutional or our traditional systems just can't address, if that makes sense. Um, and so going back to work um, means many different things for many different families. Each family is a bit of a snowflake, right? So what are the things that keep someone coming back from work other than a choice, right? If they have the economic ability not to. So take them out. We're talking about people who might just take a leave of absence and go get another job because they can't get things together. The things they often can't get together are their own physical health and mental health. What's the root cause of that often? It could be PMADS, perinatal mental health and anxiety disorder. Sadly, um, our members, we see this, and of course it's true across the U.S., the rates are astounding. They were astounding before COVID. They're very high. They go unaddressed. Um, Physicians are often doing very quick assessments and saying, how do you feel today? And then talking about the baby. We miss so much of that. So how do you actually get ahead of that? So we actually assess members at the last portion of their pregnancy throughout their early um, uh, uh, period with, as a new parent, we actually assess both mom and not, and, and the, uh, birth partner. So that's a big one. Um, and that's responsible for so many things. And then beneath that, um, think of all of the root causes for PMADS or anxiety or other areas. They're often feeding. How do I organize childcare? How do I work with my partner? How do I talk to my manager? about what life is going to be like when I come back, mm-hmm. right? And so those are all the things Cleo's uniquely adept at because your guide is first name basis with you, is working with you, is, and we call it the Cleo gift. We always, when we're talking to a member, give them one more tip that they aren't even asking for. So how do you start to get ahead and help them plan and truly make it like a manageable plan? Um, we have a little thing called our Family Wins Channel internally at Cleo, our Slack channel. And it has member stories around the globe every day. There's four to five at least. Um, And there was just one from Israel um, this morning I read about exactly that, which was they just didn't have faith that they could do it. It was the million paper cuts. It wasn't one thing. Yeah. Um, And so that's actually how we make that difference. Amazing. Oh, so amazing. And, you know, um, we talked about the great resignation. Um, what What is that? Um, I think I know what it is, but I would like to hear, I've been hearing more about it lately. So let's talk about that. And where do you think employer benefits comes into it? Somebody sent me an email today that there's a great awakening. I don't know if we're there yet, but I think we're getting into it. Uh, there's a lot of great yeah, things yeah, happening. A lot of shit. Listen, you know, the great resignation, I don't know when that was named, if it was at the tail end of last year. Um, you know, this concept, I think November's are the largest exits among employees across the U S but in 2020 alone, I actually have a stat up here. Um, 
three and a half million mothers in 2020, so we're now two years ago, with school-aged children either lost their job, took a leave, or had to go part-time. Yep. Okay. And so that was, I guess, the beginning point. So I don't know why we waited so long to name it. Um, but this concept of people are need a break, people are drained, the weight of these times, the mental health issues, the fatigue, um, the anxiety is so high. And then I think, of course, we know that it's the nucleus of that, the worst, you know, uh, impacted are folks who are caring for others. So caregivers of all kinds, not just mothers. Um, which I think is an important part of how we start to talk about this audience. Oftentimes it is women. Uh, Two thirds of the time it is the woman who's the primary caregiver. Um, but they have such higher volume of demands, responsibilities, and they just hit their breaking point. So I think they're the most important part of the great resignation. And also, by the way, it's kind of true of all um, products for consumers. If you solve for the highest need person, you'll solve for everyone. So I also think the opportunity in this great resignation is to focus in on who's hurt the most, <laughs> who's the most injured on the field and how do we put them back together? Yeah. So that that's how I think about it. Very cool. Yeah. The, my impression is that, you know, 2020 came down really hard on women. We were the backbone. We held a lot and we had to do things like leave work and, you know, cause we, women are oftentimes the caregiver of their parents, of their partner, of their children, of their neighbors, kids, you know? Um, and so, but what I am seeing is in 2021, then we just passed, right. We just rolled over to 2022 is people being like, whoa, whoa, wait. All right. I can actually do it on my own or I started the, I started a small business. It's actually going pretty good. Or they're currently working for a company and they're realizing most people are allowed to work from home. And they're mm -hmm. like, um, no, mm -mm, I want that. I want that over there. Yes. Right. Yeah. They're having these choices. And mm -hmm. I heard that that statistic in November, 2021 was not necessarily people leaving the workforce, but people moving laterally and upwards within the workforce. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I think one way employers are going to re retain and attract, especially female talent is through benefit programs like yourself, like the like Clio. Um, do you, you concur with that? Yeah, we saw two things completely. Um, we saw two things last year. So 2020 was just like, to your point, Whoa, it was a crazy, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what was up or down. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I honestly, I like literally start to like my stomach hurts. <laughs> I, talk about I always it. think I always have the phrase that was a rough year. I also, I had just taken uh, the seat at Clio. So it was just wild and always, but 2020, we saw what I would call emergency care, like crisis yeah. management. Right. Yeah. And um, what was really bad for everybody was really good for Clio in the sense of exactly what you're talking about. Employers realized we, all of these benefit offerings from 1980s, 1990s, there are these like point solutions for like what I call transactional problems. There's nothing that's actually, they're not working. So we have a childcare benefit. We have a backup childcare benefit. We have an EAP that's supposed to help families with their mental health. We have all this stuff. Why is nobody using it? So we saw in 2020, a huge upswing. We signed our largest ever client. We also launched kids um, at a much larger scale. So we started to support parents of older kids, which was a huge awakening, I What's think. older to you? So we went from serving early childhood, one to five, and 2020, we went five to 12. This year, we're going 12 to 18. Uh -huh. um, and so that's the other piece we saw as employers were like, wait, it's not just new moms. It's not just pregnancy. 
it's parenting, it's family, and it's also dads, it's, it's any, or it's any family definition. Um, and then to your point, this last phase last year, we saw two things. We saw very diverse employers signing up. To your point, they were seeing, wait, this is bigger. We also saw all of our new clients except one bought kids. So they also recognized this is not niche. This is going to, and by the way, they signed two to three year contracts. So they're investing in, we know that we have to show up for families in a new way. So you're absolutely right. The other thing we saw was really unique is rapid launches. Um, employers weren't just saying, let's launch this in the new plan year. Some did, like a traditional benefit. Many of them were actually launching us saying, we need this in 45 days or 30 days. So there was this like, like real, and that was still in what I would call the October through December of last year. So I think you're absolutely right. And then I think everyone else is waking up. To me, it's kind of like mental health uh, seven to 10 years ago where we all, it was still very stigmatized in the employer community. We weren't talking about it. We didn't have all these solutions. Now it's ubiquitous. I, family health and family support is going to be the, in the next two to three years, right? I think we're starting to see that trend line grow. Yep, that's my my ambition is over the next decade, we are you know, talking about menopause. We're no longer hiding our tampons in our sleeve. It's, uh, you know, these are conversations that if you're uncomfortable, you're the weird one because yeah. this is life, you know? And there's enough of us at the table that are talking about it that you gotta get with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't have many guests on our show that would have any data around this. I just want to ask you real quick before we hit our last two questions here. Um, And that is around the health of children. Mm. Um, You know, I am an adult (laughs) woman and the pandemic was really hard on my mental health. It was really hard. Like it was a dark year being alone, you know, uh, being just like limited and how much social interaction I could have. And I just thought to myself, oh my gosh, if I was a kid that had to stay in my home, like, and try to do learning, like I can't even fathom. So do you have any, like, just quick facts for us about children? We do. Yeah. A couple things. One that's Cleo specific is a half of our members cite that they're nervous about their children's mental health. And then 25% of them believe they have an acute issue with their children's mental or what I would call um, special needs assistance, right? Um, So it's what I would call prevalent, urgent, and acute. Um, It's critical. And that's why we're very, we've been very deliberate at how we've built our team's platform and we're launching that this year. We didn't do that fast because the needs are very acute and very serious. And so we've been very um, focused on building that right. Um, So that's one of the pieces we see. And then related to that, the parents, mental health and anxiety is particularly hit then they don't often even know it so we're seeing a lot of families show up with like I said that one question but beneath that question like a member recently came in with a potty training question okay and by the way we can help you with that and it's great um it's an awesome result but the dad was so high energy he ended up having six or seven sessions over a month and a half because his own mental health was suffering so bad. So that's one piece. And then not on data, but I, and I can, um, there is a ton of data on it, but the other piece I would share for you is we know that we're facing a learning loss um, uh, issue that will unfortunately be with us for a while. To your point on what did we lose? How are kids doing? Um, I have a five and eight year old, so that was not a good time. 
um, right? Working and trying to educate my children did not go well. But in a really serious way, we have a real learning loss issue. And that will also be a big issue for parents to navigate in the next three years. How do we catch up? What do we see from that? So not just their mental health, but how are they going to do in school? How do we keep them on track is a big concern. Wow. You are doing such important work. I love it. This is fantastic. Um, a few last quick questions. Uh, you have fundraised from some really high impact investors. And so just briefly tell us, is that been a, I mean, fundraising is never, ever, ever easy. And I never want to say that it is, but did you find it to be somewhat, um, you know, smooth sailing considering uh, that this is family planning and not just like very specific about vaginas, you know, because what we <laughs> notice is that when the pitch is about heavy menstrual blood, it doesn't usually go funded, honestly, but when it's about fertility and growing your, you know, your, your unit, like men GPs will get on board a little bit easier. So just wondering quickly about your experience. So many things to say. Okay. I know. I'll quickly <laughs> say, so I didn't do the first two raises. I didn't do the A and okay. B. Um, and we are really lucky. We have NEA, um, yeah. Greylock, and uh, Felices, and many other amazing angels on our team. I did our Series C um, <laughs> in my darkest period, actually, was the la- end of last year because I was so exhausted by still being educating and having kids at home. Um, I'd say it was not easy, but probably not what your not what some of your um, you know guests have gone through right? Clea was also at a Series C stage, right? So it was much less about product market fit and proving there was need, um, which I think to your point, oftentimes, right, we're going in with real data. We have incredible revenue growth. We have an amazing client list, right? And um, it was much more, how do you see the next, at a Series C, you're talking about repeatability and the scale and stage of business. And that was more about finding the right partner. So that was probably the challenge because I was doing it all on Zoom. Um, and I'm really, really happy. We got transformation capital, um, who are really incredible health tech leaders and our first male board member. Think of that. I really, I changed the ratio <laughs> the other way. I brought the first male onto our board. Um, and I love that he's there because yeah. we do represent family and he's an active data for, um, Mike Dixon. Yeah. So, so that was, I guess I could say I, I did well. And probably not as challenging as some of your other guests, but it's not an easy process by any means. I love what you said about having a male on the board, because I always say femtech is not anti-men. Like sexual wellness is part of this, y'all. Like we need men. We love men. They're in this. But um, I was speaking with a uh, a birthing hospital um, and their board was only women for a long time because it was about moms and babies. And they actually rebranded their hospital to be like the motherhood center or something like that. And uh, they got their first male board member and it was a, a gay man who was an adopt, you know, he had adopted kids. parent. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, yeah. So now I'm on the board of the motherhood center. We should talk about who we're serving. And I was like, oh my God, we need representation all over the place. Well, um, SJ, two last questions for you. I can't stop talking to you. You have such great information. The first of our last two questions is we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that listen to the show. And so what's an area in women's health that you think still needs innovating? All of it. <laughs> I think we're on chapter two. I think it's going to be 700 chapter book. We're delayed on our start. Um, I'm really um, I am obsessed with Cleo and my kids, so I rarely think about much else. I'm super curious to your point about menopause, postmenopausal, um, aging women. How do you reach out to them? How do you think about it differently? Because that's 
that's not as available in the employer channel, as you know, right? Those women are oftentimes already out of the workforce. Um, and I think that's a really interesting area of how do you reach them and how do you get there? Um, which I'm, I'm curious about in, in any of the spare time I get, but I'd say all of us are like, you know, we're all going to have to reinvent and move um, with every next phase yeah. Yeah. of what this market looks like, what the payers look like. We're, like I said earlier, we also don't know what the results are. Um, I think we're all building really exciting, promising products. Um, we don't yet have a shared metric system or what good looks like. And so I think there's a ton of work that needs to go into how do we actually integrate with the existing big players, health plans, payers, hospital systems, so that we can really start to take what I would say this early phase of promise that companies like Clio are seeing, but actually start to get it into mass scale um, and integrate it into traditional systems because that's where real transformation will become. So anyone who also can bring in that data side, the, the underbelly of this world is very complex. So I get also really excited about data-driven companies uh, in this space. Well, Femtech Focus, we love data. We are very data-driven. We have the largest database of Femtech startups, of Femtech that's awesome. Exit, and that's, it literally started with me copying and pasting it into an Excel sheet because PitchBook and Crunchbase didn't have a label for women's health. And I was like, well, hell, somebody's going to need this list eventually. And now here it is. I love it. And then database. think about then how do we start to get that data between companies like Clio, health systems, uh, payers, employers, and track things that aren't tracked today, right? The connectedness yeah. to from healthy birth, social determinants of health to economic um, security promotion, right? How do you look at this holistically to what we all want, which is more inclusion, diversity, and representation and economic security? Um, and so I, I think there's a huge opportunity for the data side of it and really proving out that, which um, Clio is doing our part, but I think there's a lot more to be done. Yeah. And there's so much data out there. You need to know you're asking the right questions. Like the clinical trials for the vaccine didn't include the freaking question, has your menstrual cycle been affected by the vaccine? Until millions of women around the world rose their hand and said, um, I lost my period or mine's really heavy. And the scientists were like, oh no, oh no. Did anyone ask the women about their fifth vital sign? No, we forgot that. Um, oh God. You know, and it's just like, what are we doing y'all? Um, our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Capital. Nice. Uh, um, for um, the sources of capital, the institutional players to take the same types of bets they take on um, male CEOs every day mm. and be bolder, be faster, be more decisive, be more courageous. Um, there, you know, everyone talks about the pipeline problem of women in, um, for executive roles, for engineering roles. We don't have a pipeline problem. We have a hiring problem, right? We, we look for patterns that because women have been held back for so long, they will never match, right, at scale. The same is true of entrepreneurs and founders. So the only people that can change that are the, right, the investors, the large entities, to take the same bet we're hopefully learning to do in hiring, you hire differently. You hire women executives differently than you hire men if you do it well. The same is right true of black employees and other you know underrepresented groups. You hire differently, and so I'd say let's fund differently yeah. um, and take those big bets. Yeah, because I definitely see funding for women's health and female founders a lot of times is more of a feels almost like generosity, like oh like look at you doing this thing, lady. Like you're, you remind me of my granddaughter. Here's some money, you know, whereas yeah. I, 
to be like, this is badass, you know, like I well, want we're going to make sure those people feel really left out pretty soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, just like they've been left out if they don't have women on their boards, women right. on their executive teams, we've seen the data and they'll see the same thing for women founded and women run companies in our space. That's right. Thank you so much for your time today. Of course. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you for listening to my interview with S.J. Sacchetti, the CEO of Clio. To learn more about Clio, go to HiClio.com. That's H-I-C-L-E-O.com. Alrighty, Fem fans, don't forget to join our new virtual community and become a Fem Pro member for only $14.99 a month to access our Femtech databases, Femtech Jobs Board, and Femtech Institute, the first and only DIY Femtech Accelerator. Please consider supporting Femtech Focus by giving the show a five-star review, becoming a monthly donor to our organization, and subscribing to our newsletter. All of this can be done at femtechfocus.org. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.